Hey, I think we were back in action. Gee, I just loved uh, the praise and worship this morning. Sometimes I come in and I, I don't know how you find things, but sometimes it's, it's kind of, I have to work. God, I know you're here and I want to worship you. Other times um, it's like there's just a flow of his life within me that just draws me along. And that's certainly how I felt this morning. So thank you, Amy and team, for the, the work that you do. Friends, I want to uh, come back and look again at heaven through the lens of near-death experiences that I was talking on way back in February and March this year. But it's good to just take a break and and then um, come again. But if you're here and you didn't hear me speak on these things, what what I want to say is that there have been millions and millions and millions of people now because of breakthroughs in medicine who have died, clinically dead, and experience life beyond this life, and then through medicine, usually, they have uh, the paddles or some other thing that's taking place uh, in the surgery or their accident, and, and they're brought back to life, and they have stories. And initially, these people were very reluctant. People were extremely reluctant to share because you can be thought of as being absolutely crazy, especially if you have a negative story. Because the Bible says there's a heaven and there's a hell. And so we would expect that people passing from this life into the next life, there would be people coming back with stories that were so frightening and so terrifying that they would signify uh, the waiting place before actually being thrown into Hades because no one's in in what we call hell yet. That comes after the judgment, which comes after the return of Christ. But we would expect that there would be people who would come back with terribly negative hellish-like experiences from the, that side of the waiting place. And we would expect that there would be people who would come back with wonderful experiences of having a heavenly experience. And just because someone has a heavenly experience doesn't mean that their final destiny is not the other place. And so we need to be careful with the stories. But people were, because we haven't, they haven't gone through the judgment situation. We don't know quite what God is doing in, in their circumstances. But People were very uh, hesitant to share at first, but slowly those stories started to come out, and particularly on the, on the negative stories, they found that with a lot of people, what they went through was so horrific that if they weren't interviewed virtually straight away, it would be gone. Their, their mind would just push it into the darkest resources, and, and it would go back into their subconscious um, minds. But there are stories on both sides. And, you know... A lot of these stories now, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, have been analysed by researchers to see what are the the things that are similar right across all stories in all continents, all all religions, all no matter who they are and where they are born on the planet. And they've found that there are amazing similarities in what everyone comes back and says. Amazing similarities. And then as Christians, it's so exciting because what they are telling us, by and large, 90% of what they are telling us are exactly what the Bible says we should expect heaven and the afterlife to be like. That is so encouraging, incredibly encouraging. And Colossians says this, it says, we should be imagining heaven. It says... Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. While you're walking on this earth, we're to set our sights and thinking about heaven. 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth, or not just the things of the earth. Because when we start to have an eternal perspective, whether you're taught challenging people in the area of, of uh, creation or evolution, and you start to raise the fact that there's something, there is something beyond this life, which every generation has basically believed up until the most recent generation, across the board. It's always been a knowledge of, of a life to come. Then it starts, when people believe that, it starts to frame the way they live, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, if we're going to meet God and be accountable for our lives, then we don't have just a whatever kind of thinking about our life and, and how we're going to live it. So I want to look today specifically at what the Bible or what near-death experiences can tell us about what our body will actually be like and uh, whether that matches up with what Paul and others in the Bible tell us it will be like as well. So the first thing I want to say is that we're told from the Bible and from people who've, who've passed on and come back is that we get an upgraded body. Is anyone glad about that? Anyone have any body issues you would love to just do away with and you've got something better out there in the future? I mean, that's probably every one of us. And we get a Mark II version, if I can put it that way. And then eventually we get a Mark III version. I might come onto that on another day, which will be even better. But we, I, I introduced you to a lady, um, Dr. Mary Neal, and she, in a previous talk, and, and she um, died by drowning um, while she was canoeing in Chile. And she went over the falls in a canoe similar to this little thing. And she, instead of just bouncing out and carrying on, her, her, the nose of her canoe got trapped and she died under there. And this, her story gives us a really good starting point. She says this, I was immediately greeted by, after she died, I was immediately greeted by a group of people or spirits, whatever you call them, wearing robes of a sort, but they were absolutely exploding with pure, pure love. It was my welcoming committee, and they had head, a head, arms, and legs. In other words, she says, they were not dissimilar to what we look like in this life. And my arrival was joyously celebrated, and I hugged and danced and greeted everybody. So... There's body contact. There's the ability. Actually, Carl, um, or the whole team, I love seeing you up here. But in my mind, I, in reality, I'm doing this as I'm worshipping. But in my mind, I am doing much more than that. I'm dancing in a way that I once used to be able to. Anyway, they did this in, as, as she'd passed into the next life. They hugged, they danced, and they greeted everybody. The intensity, the depth, the purity of these feelings and sensations were far greater than I could ever describe or have ever experienced on earth. Better. Far more. Isn't that cool? You know, God's world is, ex she says, God's world is exponentially more colorful and intense. And as Murdo and Donna and I were sitting with um, Gillian uh, on Thursday night, uh, and she died Friday morning, um, I just started to talk to her about the message that I was preparing about heaven. And as I, as I spoke to her about where you're going is so much better than anything you've ever experienced. Heaven is going to have more color, more beauty, more life. You get a new body. She just started, she's making no sounds and seemingly just comatose. 
but she, start, she made three really strong sounds of seeming recognition for what I was telling her or speaking to her about, and her hand started to come up three times, up like this, as she was, as she was aware. But I had, I had no awareness that she was going to die just hours after, after being there. But so much better. She's there now. Isn't that cool? And Mary says, let's go back to Mary. Um, we began to glide upon a path. And then she describes looking back, and I glimpsed the scene at the riverbank. My body had been recovered now, and it looked like a shell of a comfortable old friend. And I saw Tom and his sons, and I heard them calling to me and begging me to take a breath. I loved them, and I didn't want them to be sad. So I asked my heavenly companions to wait, and I returned to my body, and I lay down, and I took a breath. She was back. But just imagine, we're going to experience this. At the point of life that we most fear, that has the name of D-E-A-T. What is that? Death. At the point of life that people most fear, we don't find nothingness. We find life. And we find friends. And we find welcoming committee. And we find new colors and new sensations. And we find a, a body, people in bodies that are not that dissimilar. You know, we're going absolutely into the unknown. And yet we find that we look like what we've always looked at in the mirror. We still look like us. Isn't that cool? And we feel alive, so alive that people usually say it took them a while to adjust to the fact that they were actually dead. Because they still have their body, their head, their arms, their legs, but there's no aches and pains, and all impairments are gone. All impairments are absolutely gone from them. They can run, they can move, they can dance, they can do things they couldn't do on earth. I think the Apostle Paul was probably the fourth person in the New Testament to experience a near-death experience. Tell me the other ones. Good, Jesus. Lazarus. Jairus' daughter. Yeah. So there's at least three. And then Paul does this. Now, scholars believe that Paul died at Lystra. And Paul describes um, quite a bit about heavenly bodies, either from revelation or from what he experienced in his own near-death experience. Um, in Acts chapter 14, it just says this about his death. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd to their side, which is amazing when you read the verses before that because they were just absolutely amazed at Paul's preaching. And then it just said that verse, and suddenly the crowd switches on Paul. They stoned Paul and they dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now, friends, you've got to think about it. If someone is stoned so badly from a whole crowd that they actually believe that he's dead and they drag him out, there's no way that person revives, gets up, walks back into town. He might be, or she might be carried gently back to a bed where they convalesce, perhaps, to stay alive for two to three weeks. But not just walk back, 
and then the next day head off for another place. Obviously, something really dramatic took place there that's just kind of glossed over in the words. And then Paul talks about heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 1 to 4. He says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on and boast. I will reluctantly tell about the visions and the revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Where's the first heaven? Right, we look up at night into it, don't we? Up into the heavens. And the Bible speaks that God lives in a third heaven. What's in the second heaven? I'll leave you to think about it. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Maybe it does explain, though, why there's tunnels of light or tunnels of darkness with ringed with light that people travel through before they are kind of ejected out into the third heaven. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. He's kind of going, wow, what an experience it was. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. And that kind of statement, when you read people's accounts, is very, very common. Clearly, there are things that people see in heaven that they're not allowed or they quickly forget that they just are not allowed to speak about down here on earth. But there are many other things that they see that they are allowed to speak about as well. But that's a really common thing. I saw things that were beyond being able to talk about. One person said it's like we live in, in a three-dimensional world, but heaven has four plus dimensions. So how do you tell people when you've seen four plus dimensions? What words could describe coming back and telling people? Can you imagine two people in a womb? I had a great photo of this. I didn't put it on. But two little babies in a womb. One goes out and then comes back in and tries telling their brother or sister what it's like out there. The brother or sister's going... There's no comprehension. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul explains more about this up upgraded body that, that we'll receive. The first thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that it's an absolute promise from God that every one of us will get an upgraded body. For we know, it says, that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and we leave this earthly body, we will have... A house in heaven. No, actually, it's an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on this heavenly body like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Praise God. No ghosting around. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of the bodies that clothe us, but rather we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. So we are always confident. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. And again, this is something that you'll read over and over again. People say, I didn't want to go back. Oh, no, I've got to go back into that body that was just wrecked in a, in a car accident, broken bones and all of this. They say, I just want to stay where I am. The, 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 the being in that state is so good to everybody that, that going back to what we have here is like, 
oh, what a downgrade. So really, these are really exciting words for us for the future, just as they were for Gillian. At the point of the unknown, we find not death but life, and we find an upgrade. Mary Neal experienced what Paul was saying, and her way of saying it was a little bit different. She said, I was trapped underwater, drowning. She said, I felt no fear, no panic, even though I'd feared drowning as a little girl, and most of my life had been spent in water sports growing up, she said. She said, the very moment under the water when I turned to him, Jesus, I was overcome with an absolute feeling of calm, peace, and the physical sensation of being wrapped in his arms. How cool. And like Paul, Mary found that once she'd experienced that Mark 2 version, she didn't want to go back to a Mark 1. (laughs) Scripture tells us more. You know, the first thing is that our body will be forever young. Yes. (laughs) Mike's pleased. Anyone else? (laughs) Now... Near-death experience people tell us this very clearly. Scripture tells us by hinting at it. Let me give you some scriptures that give a hint of the youngness that we will have in, those day, in that time. No, sorry, in that eternity. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, things like earthquakes and volcanoes and all the problems that that were put into creation at the moment of Adam and Eve sinning. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, our Father in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. Hope actually, biblically, is not, I hope it will happen. It's not, I I wish it would. I'm, I'm hoping, but it might not. Hope, biblically, is an absolute certainty. When it mentions hope, it just means this will take place. This is certain. Will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says some really interesting words when he said, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So what age do you feel inside? Have we got any takers? 27 from Carl? I like that age, I'll go with that. Come on, don't be shy. Newton, you're not shy. What age are you inside? 80. Good on you, mate. (laughs) Every age is a great age, but I doubt if you're 80 inside, my friend. Inside, we generally, 99.99% of us, Newt, feel much younger. We can still imagine ourselves doing things that we can't now. I imagine I can still run and catch Micah. I found out after a Father's Day service about 9, 10, or 11 years ago, running on on Sumner Beach, that he could outrun me and tease me, and there was nothing I could do about it. But in my mind, I can catch him every time, (laughs) because I'm 27. 
Possibly that age that we feel on the inside could be the age, and this is just conjecture, that we will stay. Marv Besterman, who was a retired bank manager, had a pancreatic tumour. And he was in bed post-op, and he said he was in a lot of pain, he couldn't sleep that night, when two men entered the room. And the moment he... I kind of get a men in black picture, as these two guys in suits. Um, but he said the moment they entered, he knew they were angels. And he said they dis disconnected all the apparatus, and they each took him an arm, and they flew him out of the hospital, and then they deposited him, de deposited him before a huge gate of a city. And, and he was, said he was standing next to a short line of people. There were about 35 people in the line. And they were, some of them were in what you would describe as national costumes of their land. And, and he said, the music I heard was incomparable to anything ever heard in earth, on earth. And he said, my old geezer body was strong and fantastic. The aches and pains and the limitations of age were gone. I felt like a teenager again. And how good does it feel to be a teenager? <laughs> he said, I felt like a teenager again, only better. Only better than a teenager. Now, it sounds like make-believe. But thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people's stories corroborate the same thing. Colton Burpo, and I'll show a clip in just a moment, Josh, if you can just read that, was four years old in 2003. And he's one of the uh, people that have become real celebrities in, the, in this near-death experience uh, stories. He was four years old when he got appendicitis and he died. And his story has been written down in a book, um, Heaven is for Real, and it's been made into a movie. And after he had died and uh, they, he'd been brought back to life, um, slowly over the next year and even years, he began as a four-year-old coming out with things that he'd seen to his parents. He'd just be somewhere and he'd say, oh, when the angel took me, da-da-da, and his parents would be just flabbergasted. So here he is as a teenager. This is his dad, Todd, talking. Colton's sitting next to him, and, and we haven't got time to hear Colton talk. But uh, Todd is just talking about the, the time when um, uh, Colton came to his mum and said, I've got two sisters. Now, he only had one, but his mother had had a miscarriage, and the baby had died in the womb as a miscarriage. And he'd met his sister, who had not been born in heaven. And here's a bit of the story. Where you can see where the drums are. That's about how far I am away from this conversation. And he looks up at his mom and says, Mom, I have two sisters. And she's busy. And, she's not, and he goes, Mom, I have two sisters. How do you explain to a three-year-old who just turned four that babies die in their mommy's tummies without scaring them to death? It's just not age-appropriate conversations. Do you all understand that? You just don't do that. And so she's like, no frame of reference. Here we are. Five plus years later from the miscarriage, she doesn't know what he's referring to. And she goes, you mean your cousin you just saw, your friends? And he's like, no, mommy. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? 
you talk about silence. And I still remember her, and I could hear her, and she, it, it was, it, have you ever heard moms do a loud whisper? Okay, who told you? It was kind of like, who gave me up? Who told you about that hurt? And he's like, well, she did, mommy. She told me she died in your tummy. Turned around and started to bounce out of the room, and my wife exploded. The movie was way nicer than the real scene. She stood up and screamed at Colton. I've never heard Colton Todd Burpo yell louder ever. Have you? No. No? Okay. <laughs> Colton Todd Burpo, you don't tell me something like that and walk away. You get back here right now. I mean, that room went from light and airy to tense and... Oh, mom was ready to kill. Seriously. And this time I remember Colton looking at me and I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> and so he tiptoes back to his mom this time. And he's like, it's okay, mom. She's okay. God adopted her, mommy. She gets down on her knees, puts her hands on his shoulders. You mean Jesus adopted her? No, Mom. His dad did. I mean, I've never had anyone explain the Trinity to me before or try to correct me, but my four-year-old could. Just, it's just so messed up, okay? Because he's right, you know? And it's like, she's okay. She's okay. And then, well, what does she look like? And then, what's her name? And I remember him saying... Like in the movie, this is correct. Well, you all never gave her a name. She doesn't have a name. And I'm like, well, didn't God go ahead and name her? So she's got a name now. So if you've had a miscarriage, can I encourage you? Name that child. Pray to God. He'll let you know if it was a boy or a girl. And, and what a healing thing to go through to give your child a name. And then he starts complaining, well, Dad, Mom, she just wouldn't stop hugging me, and I didn't like that very much. <laughs> and in heaven, you still get told no. Think about that for a little bit. Aren't you glad God's in control up there? Can you think, look what we did down here, right? That's why heaven is still heaven. So he still had to let his sister hug him. <laughs> and, um, but I remember him telling me, Dad, I told her that when you get to heaven, you give your little girl hugs because you always give your kids hugs. And by the time, you can imagine, we're just in tears. We're crying. And that hurt was replaced by that peace where the Bible talks about the peace that passes understanding. And in 10 minutes, that, that hurt that we had buried, God reached back in and touched and healed it. We just kind of buried it. Was that? It's amazing, isn't it? And he also met his grandfather, who was called Pop. And uh, when his dad heard that he had met um, his wife's uh, father, uh, Colton's had met his grandfather, um, they didn't know that his grandfather was in heaven. He'd never, he'd never um, uh, acknowledged anything. But what had happened is two weeks before his grandfather died, um, there was a church service, and his grandfather was sitting in one of the back rows. And there was an altar call opportunity and his grandfather had raised his hand. Responded. Given his life to Jesus and two weeks later he died. 
And so that news alone was hugely helpful for the family in coming back. But uh, Todd, the dad, got photos of his grandfather and said, point out who, who the grandfather is. And, and, and Colton couldn't because they were photos of an old man. And eventually, um, Todd rang his mother and said, do you have any photos of dad in that young age bracket, the 27-year-old? And, and uh, there was a photo that, um, that had been put away, packed away about five years before um, Colton was even born in a case, and, and that was sent across. And the moment um, Colton saw the photo, he goes, there's Pop, there's Pop. He saw him as that young man there. So when we're, we're going to be young, but we're also going to be whole and absolutely healthy. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from people's eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Yeah. You know, isn't it amazing that we are looking forward to a future that where there will be no infirmity. There will be no handicap on anyone at all, Tracy absolute ability to be able to run and do the things that you haven't been able to do here, although you have petted lions. That's pretty cool. You know, it's incredible. Not only will there be no wheelchairs, but if you're over 70 today, there will be no walkers, no glasses, all those things. Gone. Gary Wood had a car accident that killed him instantly. He went through the tunnel of light and found himself on the outskirts of an incredible city. And he said this, he said, the angel gave me the nod. <laughs> the angel gave me the nod and granted me access. First person I met was my best friend John, who had tragically had been decapitated at school years before. So he'd been at the school, he'd seen his friend without his head, he, he knew the deformity that was in, in his friend John's life. But John, he said, was completely healed and well, and he ran and he hugged him. And he said this hug was fuller and deeper. He said our arms actually went into each other. Isn't that cool? This was a hug so much deeper, Gary said, than hugs can be on earth. And after 20 minutes dead... He revived. And interestingly, Gary, as a result of the crash, has no vocal cords, yet as a sign of what he says the future will be like, he can still talk and sing, even though the x-rays show that there's nothing there. Thirdly, our bodies will be made of light. Light. And Paul asks and he answers the question of what our bodies will be like. In 1 Corinthians 15.35, someone might say, Paul says, what kind of bodies will they, ha will they have? It's like he said, um, you know, someone might, might say this. Uh, and he says, thank you for asking the question. Now I'll tell you the answer. And in verse 40 he says, there are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. And the glory, say glory, the glory of heavenly bodies is different from the glory of earthly bodies. Now tell me, friends, if the glory is different between an earthly and a heavenly body, which one's better? Which one will have more glory? It's not hard to figure it, is it? We're differentiated by this thing called glory, but we get an upgraded body. 
And Jesus has an upgraded body, yet he's able to do a lot of earthly things. Now, this to me brings a lot of, a lot of um, uh, pleasure. He's able to eat at least fish. So we can assume that steak will also still be on the menu, right? Those of you who are barbecue people, he could walk and he would have footprints. He was touching the ground. He wasn't doing this, you know, skateboardy slide across um, when he was walking on the Emmaus Road. That would have given him away. He just walked and looked like anybody else. And he could be touched, but he could also travel through walls and travel by thought. And everyone describes a body that's glowing and translucent. And this is what I think is, is represented by glory, that our bodies will actually glow. Dr. Richard Elby, who died by falling headfirst to the pavement from the second story of a balcony because he didn't know the rail had been eaten away and it was rotted, when he leaned over it just plunged to his death. Um, he, he gives us uh, quite a lot of detail, and it's probably because bodies are his career. And he said this about his own death. He said, the eggshell of my skull completely broke apart and my eyes popped out. He was noticing detail. I was dead on impact. And of his heavenly body, Dr. Richard says this, I was the same size and shape as the person I'd seen in the mirror for years. But now I was clothed in translucent, a translucent flowing gown of pure white but trans transparent to my gaze. And in amazement, I could see through my body, and I noted the glorious white flowers behind and beneath me as he's looking through himself. Hello? My feet were easy to see. No bifocals needed. I instantly noted my eyes had an unlimited range of vision, 10 inches or 10 miles. Focus sharp and clear. There were no bones or blood vessels within my body or no in, and no internal organs, and I noted the absence of genitals. My mind, which worked here at a, at, worked in heaven at an electric-like speed, answered my unspoken question. They're not needed. Jesus is the life here. He is the energy. So what about clothes? What will we actually wear up there? Do we have to wear a white robe forever? How many would like that? I don't see many hands, but I'm sure we will actually like it for much of the time. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So clearly we will all dress in these white robes at times, but near deathers tell us that they see people wearing normal clothes as well. And we've read one or two to today. The sort of thing they would be comfortable in on earth. So here's a best guess theory at this. Possibly we get to choose. And we can wear what's comfortable and represents our choice, even our culture. Because you know, we're not going to lose our culture when we go to heaven either. Because other scriptures that I won't read out talk about people from every tribe, every race, every nationality worshipping before the throne. But each of us can wear a glowing white robe, which is special. So why would a glowing white robe be special? Well, I think it has to do with that word glory. Yeah. On earth, we all dress to show off our best feature. Just have a look at your neighbor's best feature. They're dressing to impress. 
That's how we do it today. And, and I guess if you just think of the most uh, outrageous, it's the red carpet and the celebrities in America, right? And, and they, they get, get on there in their dresses and, they, and their suits and they dress to impress. And they're photographed and they're seen around the globe and they get their glory or maybe their infamy for a moment out of their outfit. And we're told that Jesus wears a white, a white robe. And he shines brighter than anyone else that's in heaven. And possibly our choosing to wear our glowing robe is to dress in his glory, to imitate him. Perhaps in heaven, we most want to be noticed for how much we reflect Jesus' glory. And there's lots of scripture that suggests that. Can I have the band come just as as we draw to a close now? Listen to these scriptures as we close about this glory. In the book of Daniel... Speaking about the end times and the apocalypse times, it says, But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Wow, what a difference. And those who will rise, who are wise, will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars. So there's clearly differentiating amounts of light that will emanate through our, through our clothing, depending on us. Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 says this, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And listen to this. Incredibly sad verse from the book of Job in verse 30, uh, chapter 38. The wicked are denied their light. So there's a glory in, in the light that God will give us. And it would appear that the more willing to live sold out to Jesus now, despite any suffering that might come our way, despite any problems and any persecution that might clo- uh, come, will mean that we will be clothed in greater light or glory in heaven. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 to 16 says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, friends, no matter what age you and I are, we have a glorious future ahead of us. We will be different. We will be able to do new and more and better things But we're not going to look all that different to what we are now. It's just we'll have no self-image problems. And we're told to think about these things because it will motivate us to live better lives, more righteous, more holy, more going after God. And it'll motivate us to share more about Jesus that others can also have this as their destiny as well. You know, it just makes sense to live for Jesus.